Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening. Wherever you are in the world, I'm Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamond. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you, Robert? I'm feeling really noisy. Noisy in what way? Well, last time I came to this studio, mm-hmm. because I've been here once before, okay. um, we walked in. I'd never met the artist before, but he very kindly invited me and Carl Friedman to come visit him. Mm-hmm. And we came to the studio and everyone was working on in the studio, so he, our artist that we're meeting today had been painting Mm. and he had a few of his colleagues also painting with him and I think I can't remember but a few other people and everyone was really silent and I walked in and I just felt like the noisiest human being on the planet and it was like the most zen kind of chilled out very focused very precise very kind of rigorous vibe Mm. and um my uh sneakers my trainers were actually like squeaking and I had a broken like thing in my shoes as I was walking up the stairs it was like like that up the stairs and I just felt so embarrassed and so aware of what a noisy human being I am you are you should be terribly embarrassed yeah and uh the other thing I've been thinking a lot about (laughs) because of you was that um we're such rebels without a cause today we're kind of rebels maybe with with a cause cause. why is that (laughs) I don't know why that is but um maybe we should find out it's got a shoot me symbol (laughs) I love that we've got skull and crossbones coming at us um so we would like to welcome to talk art we're currently in Brooklyn in Williamsburg yes and um I actually love this side the minute we come over the bridge Mm. I feel really relaxed and happy like I think the ley lines here or something are good vibes wow Rob yeah and also this building, apart from it being very zen and calm, as in like everyone who works here, but actually the architecture is so built for like beautiful natural light yeah. and kind of like calmness. Yeah. So I just love, I love Brooklyn. Um, so anyway, <laughs> I'm happy I've shared that with the world. Yeah, we're, we're so thrilled. we would like to welcome to Talk, Talk Art, Cause. Hi, Welcome. Hi. Hi. How are you today, Cause? I'm good. I'm. F- it's funny, you know, I don't remember that squeaky shoe at all, but that's the worst, like a squeaky shoe in the studio. It's like... It's when you go into art galleries and you sort of like, it's really quiet and zen. And, and you're, you're, just, you're the... Yeah. Just feel, yeah. <laughs> so, Cause is your name, but your real name is Brian. Yes. Brian but, Donnelly. But do people think your actual name is Cause? Not often. You know, honestly... I feel like people call me Brian, people call me Cause. It's kind of interchangeable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have like my friend's parents still call me Cause. And it's really amazing because it always catches me off guard every single time <laughs> since I met them in the early 90s, you know? So did you refer to and, yourself as like, that would be, because that was... No, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess somebody, sometimes people gravitate towards one name and the other. Uh-huh. 
it's kind of tricky when you're out, you know, especially at a dinner or something, and the whole night you're Brian, and nobody knows what you do. It's kind of nice. That is nice. Because you so, can go under the radar. Kind of. Because something, yeah. something about your work is that it's so well known now, and you've done so many collaborations with, like, streetwear and, like, Uniqlo and everything, and that people wear your designs, but you can walk amongst them, and they are don't have the knowledge that they're actually wearing your work, right? Oh yeah, all the time, especially with the with the sort of reach that Uniqlo had. You know, I'd be at the playground with my daughters and there's other kids wearing the stuff. It was really bizarre. It, it, it used to be, you know, in the 90s, it was like if I saw somebody wearing either my work or, you know, Futura or somebody, I would know that I knew somebody that they knew that, you know, like it, yeah. it would be traceable. Oh, it was like a network almost. Yeah. Friends. Like a bootleg thing. So you'd know bootlegged it type situation or. No, more like, are you talking about when you made your first club? Yeah. I, I, I mean, more like it was, it was such a small little community that kind of was interested in that, that you'd be able to, that person like would, ha- would know somebody that knew somebody, you know, yeah, yeah. and now it's, it's, you know, it's such a mat. Like Uniqlo is, is about as big as you get for yeah, yeah, yeah. for a graphic tee. Yeah. Well, let's take it back then. So, where did cause come from? Um, just when I was younger, doing graffiti. I mean, if I would have wrote, you know, Brian Donnelly, I would have got, got somebody <laughs> yeah, it's not as catchy, knocking yeah. on my door. Yeah, it's a little bit, a <laughs> little bit long. Very likely to be caught. Because um, you need the and, anonymity for the tag. Yeah, exactly. And you think, you know, you just sort of—it's a very basic thing. You think about like what's a strong mark, what's mm-hmm. You know, and I just like the letters cause they, they worked well. I, it didn't really relate to anything. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I heard it was your second choice. Like you, you had a previous one as well. Did I? Yeah, that's what I heard. Oh, Where did you hear that? You said it. <laughs> Perhaps. In a very early interview that you had a one before it and then it was the second one that you stumbled I, across. I, I don't recall this, Robert. Oh, well, there you go. I'm your, I'm your, like, <laughs> I'm me your memory. I, for a while I had a tag that I yeah. used to write in the bottom of chairs at school and it was Stooky. But the, the U had like the umlaut from Stussy. And then I thought it sounded like Stocky. And I completely forgot about it until I started like doing research for this interview today. And I was like, no. <laughs> I used to have a tag. Where are those chairs now? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I should probably... <laughs> <laughs> I hope there's some like phone box somewhere yeah. in Deepest Darkest Essex that's still got Stooky written on it somewhere. But I, I think it's probably gone now. That's and amazing. talking of that, there's films on Instagram the other week of people taking photographs of your or making little videos of your early tags like under bridges and things like that. Like, you know around, what, that that they? was, I, I know what you're talking about because I got DM'd it a bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, that was in Tokyo and that was like, ah. that was kind of a laugh. That was in maybe 2000 or 2001 when I was just bored. It, I was completely done doing graph, but I was in Japan and it was late. And we <laughs> just went out painting. And then that still lasts. Survived. Yeah, it's Have still. any of your ones when you were a kid survived from where you're from? Where are you from? I'm from Jersey City. Right. So it's not really, it's not that far from here. Uh-huh. But um, there's a piece like actually on a building when you come out of the Holland Tunnel that I did in maybe 91 or 92. And it's just a roller, you know, house paint roller. And I think I've seen that, that one. Yeah, everybody. Like yeah, I get, you I get on a train, don't you? Text images. Anyone yeah. going to New York Airport right, right, right. for the last 20 you years. Remember, can you actually remember making it? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Do you remember making all? How many do you think well, you've done? How many times have you like. I mean, that, that. That was not my most talented moment. Right. But, um, <laughs> but you know, I, that was like my walking trail to high school. And there was another building that's now gone that I can see sitting sitting in my chair in class. I could see the building that I had done. So it was just completely, you know. So why are you at school? For you, myself. You went out and did the tag just so you could see 
that tech <laughs> from the classroom and come back. Pretty no, not not. I mean, I went and did it at night on one day, but you knowingly, like I can would be able to see it. How did, so how did you get into yeah. like tagging and, and graffiti? Why do you think you found that? It's quite mischievous by the sounds of it. It's quite a lot of fun. You know, well, it's illegal, isn't it? I yeah, mean, but I mean, like, yeah, but you know, you're a kid. Like, yeah. I was, I was a teenager, and that's, I mean, that's one of the amazing things now. Like, you know, I collect a lot of like '70s and '80s graffiti, and mm. um, you grew up knowing the. You know, I was born in '74, so I missed subways, and you know, I was born in Jersey, and I was more into like '90s graph and freight trains and that kind of thing. But you grew up thinking of like these legendary writers, and you know, like Lee Quinones or Zephyr. Or, you know, even oh, you call them writers, the graffiti artists. Yeah, because of the way that they're they're fonts. Yeah, the writing graffiti, just it's just a term. There's a lot of terms. Some people like someone, some people don't like. You know, but you know, they're sort of these legendary beings. Yeah. And then you realize, like now looking back at it, I mean, I'm 45, but you know, those guys are hitting their later 50s, 60s, and they were all teenagers when they were doing these subways, you know, these 10 foot by 40 foot paintings being done like under duress at night where you can't step back. And these images, you know, mostly thankfully to like Henry Chiffon and his, you know, his documentation of it or what Martha Cooper did. Who was that? that? Oh, Henry Chiffon. He's like sort of the documentarian for graffiti. Oh, right. So he would go around. From a certain period. Yeah. And American guy. Yeah, yeah. And he was he was documenting all the subways in New York and he has like the most sort of I don't know, like the the, the book like the book, book like subway art wow. is from and him. Did he ever cover you? Did he ever feature you and you? No, I mean as a child. I right. wasn't I wasn't even Right, right, right. Yeah. A little fetus or right. something. A graffiti fetus. Yeah, exactly. A graffitis. Yeah, or... exactly. Blade. You know, Blade was early, but you know, after him like say like Lee and you know, Dondi and Kel and all these sort of like great artists that came out late 70s 80s and um it really thankful to henry chiffon martha cooper that they got great documentation of all this work yeah and i think that's what most of the world saw you know these books subway art yeah and how that disseminated yeah Yeah, definitely did you ever get arrested yeah but silly stuff did you oh no but not for graffiti yeah but nothing nothing worth worthwhile and you used to go under a bridge, didn't you? Like when you first started painting, did you go under the Holland Tunnel? Is that right? Yeah, I mean, that was right around my house and right next to my high schools. And it was just like a playground. It's basically, you need walls to paint on and there was walls there and you were left alone. You know, the only other thing you'd see down there is like cars getting stripped. Right, right. So right. it's just... What, what's amazing looking at your older, like the work when you was a kid, like developing, is that so many of the characters and the motifs have continued throughout your career, right? Yeah, at some point. Um, like you've held on to the, the first, like... Yeah, I mean, I, don't, I, haven't done, I haven't done anything on the street since, like, 2000 or something. You mm-hmm. know, like, it's, it's a solid 20 years now, but mm-hmm. I somehow can't escape, you know, being labeled as a street artist or a graffiti artist. Yeah. And, but I do like to go back to imagery. I like to bring it back into the work. You know, like, in 2011 or 12, I started doing shape canvases, and that let me sort of go back to some of the older imagery and sort of reintroduce it in a new way. And, you know, often with sculptures, like I go back and I use things or I pull them. You know, when I create a new sculpture, it's almost like a family member. So starting from my first toy till now, you know, yeah. these things are reoccurring. And I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And talking about yeah. toys, the so toys are a major output for you and a major thing. They feel, they feel like they're um, 
incredibly important to your practice? You know, it was the first way of seeing my work in sculptural form. I was, you know, in the 90s, I was going to Tokyo and I had a friend um, introduce me to this guy, Hikaru, who had a company called Bounty Hunter. Mm -hmm. And he was making these small run toys. And then in my mind before that, I, I always imagine like a toy is like Kenner or these big companies, you know, yeah, like yeah, Star Wars. Yeah, or, Star Wars yeah like Mattel as well. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. You, I never thought of that as additions, but, you know, I was fully aware of like what the pop artists were doing with, you know, publishing places like Gemini and like, you know, the objects that Oldenburg was making. And right. um, I was thinking... And Gemini this, is so important, amazing. Yeah, exactly. Like all the those editions. And, yeah, I, and I, was, I, I started yeah. to think about that. I was like, this is like the perfect outlet for me at this age, mm -hmm. you know, to kind of see my work in this form. And so, you know, we say toy, but they were sold at the new museum at Colette in Paris. Yeah. Like it was literally me taking them to these places, putting them on consignment. You know, you'll, yeah, we'll take six pieces. Then you wait a few months and then it's like, you have to go back. Did they sell? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, they did. We'll take six So you more. kind of went around cold calling with these figures. Yeah, I mean, it was really sort of the first way I got work out there, you know. I met a lot of people because I have a lot of friends that were, you know, had these streetwear companies and it kind of like went into those circles, you know, new museum was sort of, it's an anomaly, right? but it was mostly like through streetwear, through stores. Like, and you love, you love working with toys. You love designing these. Characters. Yeah. I mean, I love sculpture, you right. know, and, and I just saw it as like, this is a great sort of candid way to exist in people's homes. And it wasn't, you know, my, the way I'd always imagined sculpture before that was, these monumental sort of things that were unattainable for me. Yeah. And this really sort of gave me, once I sold the first ones, I was able to make, you know, two. Yeah. And then in 2002, I started my own website. And really from Which that- Which crashes all the time, right? Now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you for bringing that up. Um, <laughs> no, but that's, in some ways, that's like a good thing that it crashes because you've got so many people- But it's called breaking the internet. Yeah. It's a yeah, compliment. Yeah. I guess, yeah. It's not, it's not when you get hit That's not now. slagging off your like uh, ability uh, to build a website, no. No, no, I mean, I don't, you know. It does always, it did always have problems. Right now, we've been a good stride. I don't know if you've been paying attention, but. No, um, I haven't. I'll, yeah, I'll, Russ, I'll you need to, they've fixed all the servers How many now? toys yeah. do you think you've made between, or do you know well, specifically between that? The early ones were editions of 500, weren't they? Yeah, so it'd be like five, there'd be three colors. Three and, colors and they'd be 500 So each. 1,500 really for right. a companion, but um, that really. How many variations, I mean, how many do you think? So there'd be three color variations yeah. and 500 of each. Yeah. And that was like the color variation thing was really started just to make the minimum order quantity mm -hmm. for a factory because they won't talk to you if you're not doing at least 1,500. Oh, interesting. And, um, but then we thought like, well, if we break it into three colors, then it's not like 1,500, it's like 500, 500. Mm -hmm. you know. And then I kind of kept that with my sculptures, like even now, just because I just like it. It feels true to, to the work. Right. So how many, and so how many different... I don't know. I never Releases, sat. I, I, I never really sat and counted. Do you keep all of? Do you but keep then one that's of really hard to work out as well because of Uniqlo. Because Uniqlo did like no, but I mean, Snoopy. I mean, no, I mean, you're, you're talking. You're talking. Oh, you mean specifically the toys? toys. Okay. Yeah. Like, I thought you meant like the sculptures generally because you've yeah. made. Lots yeah, I guess of I'm always thinking about the next and, yeah. and not. But you keep one of each. Have you got one or at least? Oh yeah, at least you know, usually three, sometimes ten. Yeah. Um, no, I've lots of storage. And the first one you made was a companion. Yeah. So where did this idea of companion come from? Like, because you've kind of created your own universe with all these different characters. Yeah. So you have like the charm, you have BFF, you have these different like figures who are like motifs in the work. 
Yeah, I think Companion just came from, you know, at the time I was painting over the advertisements and I was kind of transitioned from more traditional graffiti to putting these sort of iconography iconography over like, mm-hmm. you know, it's phone booth and bus shelter ads. Yeah, yeah, and, I loved all of that. Yeah. And, and the David Sims collaboration. That's an amazing story. So you got to that. What, what you do is you would take out posters from bus stations for like Calvin Klein, for example, and then you'd put them back in with your characters wrapped around the character the the models or yeah i mean i was you know i moved to lower east side in 96 and Uh before that i was painting like big billboards in jersey and you know i'd be on a highway at night and that would be with spray paint is it dangerous and no it's all a playground i mean you you weigh out risk versus reward and reward is always felt much stronger right because sometimes you see to me like how the hell would someone manage to hang off that bridge at that point to get that yeah, I mean, when, you know, when you're younger, you're kind of, that's all More fun. More brave, yeah. 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 But, um, and then moving to Manhattan, you know, I would paint the ads and I would just walk around and change them because, you know, in that time, like say 90, 96 or 7, there wasn't this like frenzy of street art. Mm. So people really wouldn't understand what you were doing. They just How thought you were you like a poster guy. Um, in, th- there was a tamper-proof bolt for the phone boots and then on the bus shelters, there was a, like a padlock. And originally the bolt thing was given to me from Barry McGee. Yes. And he was doing this like in SF. And he's like, just gave me the thing and said, here, you have a blast with this. And, <laughs> and then you said, you were, it's basically the key that unlocked. Yeah. The... There, there's like, you know, it's like these on, on the phone booth at the time, it's like just this bolt. And yeah. honestly, it's like snap on tools sold the thing for it. But unless you knew that, yeah. you don't know. It's like, yeah. And so I started, then I started to get into like, you know, getting into the master locks on the bus shelters and, and that kind of stuff. And what happened to these posters? Did they just disappear afterwards? They did. I left most of them on the street. And I've, I've managed to buy back a bunch over Have you? Over oh, so other people would then notice them and take them? Yeah. As like in the beginning, they'd be up for like a month, two months. And then, you know, as it, gone, as it went on, people just started to break the glass and steal them. And, no. and they were like Calvin Klein adverts and things like that, weren't they? Like advertising kind it of It was honestly what, whatever was out that I thought was like good aesthetically. Right. And Calvin Klein at the time was doing like great, you know, black and white. Like it was like Turlington and... Yeah. So, yeah, Christy Turlington, yeah. I love her. So yeah. you, you would like take that home with you and then like paint onto it your bendy character. Yeah, and then, yeah. And then take it back the next day. Not the next day. I mean, I would paint them just, you know paint a bunch of them and then once in a while I'd be like oh yeah I should go do some and I would just take a few out and do it you know did you ever worry about them getting destroyed or anything or was that not what you were thinking no I mean it's the same thing like risk like it was sort of like it was worth it to you know you got to understand this is like really no social media nothing was going on this is like my outlet to the world so you just hope that you know if the work is up for two weeks how many people could see it yeah or you know yeah, and that, that, that drive for communication is something that I read you say once you just wanted to exist somehow through, <laughs> through visual language. But it's quite a profound thing in a way that you felt like you wanted to communicate and, I don't know, like connect I think, to the I think most artists feel that way. Yeah. I don't know, you know, you're especially, like I didn't grow up with, around the arts. I didn't grow up with artists, you know, in the family. or So it was a really sort of like unpenetrable world. But I also felt like as a person, I had no other choice but to make art. And you kind of, you got to get your head around how to navigate Mm. and how to get work into the world. And, you know, just from graffiti, graffiti was like a great thing as a kid, you know, being in your late teens and having a community of other kids that paint, you know, 
like the first time I went to Germany was for a graffiti thing. Really? It was my first time out of the country, and I went and met kids that were familiar, you know, from graph magazines with oh, the work that I did. Community. It's a community. Yeah, it's completely unlike any studio practice artist that, you know, it's just, it is a real community, and there's almost like a mentorship within it. And and you still in contact with any of these people? You hung out with them? Yeah, definitely. Wow. Yeah. And when did you realize then that you were an artist? You know, it, I guess there was a point where you just real when you're younger, you're kind of thinking like, I don't know, it just seems like such an unattainable world. And then you click and you realize, well, that's just what you're doing. You're not doing anything else. There's not another possible job that exists. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, then you kind of get confidence and you start to figure out, well, what exactly, you know, do I want to do? Mm-hmm. We've just had a walk through your studio and we've seen uh, your selection of paints and a lot of them came from your time when you worked in animation. And there was, I looked at some of the animations you worked on and you worked on an animation called Doug. Yeah, which Doug I, was so cool. Kid, I absolutely was yeah. obsessed with Doug. I just yeah. thought it was the most amazing animation. And also you worked on 101 Dalmatians, didn't you? I that painted, ba- I painted backgrounds. Like 1934, wasn't it? No, yeah, no, no, yeah, no, no, no. more recent uh, iteration. Um, yeah, that was one. I mean, I took like whatever. Honestly, I wasn't interested in animation. I, was, I went to School of Visual Arts. Yeah, that's I was right. like a you know, illustration major. I was doing realist oil painting. A friend of mine had graduated the year before. He was working in animation. And he was like, you can get a job here painting every day. And I was like, done. I went, you know, and I painted. And I, I just felt like I was getting over, you know. So I moved into the city. I was able to pay rent. And then as soon as I figured out how to do my own stuff, I, I quit. But that, but that time there defined your taste in paint. You know, I was doing the, the painting over the phone booths, and that was all mylar. And cell animation paint adhered to it perfectly. So I just, it just wound up, you know, it's just like this great coincidence that and I had access. Is stop animation, isn't it? With all the sheets of acetate that you then paint. Yeah, but in the, you know, at that time in the US, what you would be doing is like the establishing sheets and then that would get sent overseas and they would do all the, the oh, in-betweens. Oh, okay. oh, right. Yeah. So even like with backgrounds, they would, they, you'd have a scene drawn out and they'd give you a light source and... In watercolor, you would just paint the whole background and give form to the drawing. And then they would take that, send it off, and that's what the other studios would copy. So, How long was you doing the animation for before you left? Before you like, I can't do this anymore. Um, 96 to 99, I was fading out, I right. think. Fading yeah. out. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. No, I kept doing things, and I kept thinking I was going to get fired, and I kept getting raises. <laughs> and, and I was like, what is going on? I they thought, wanted to keep yeah, you. I got called into this office. And I was like, for sure, I'm getting fired this time. And I got a raise in a better position. And then I also got allowed to, the last thing was like getting allowed to work from home to when I started doing all the books. And then I was like, fuck this. I just, and yeah, then I just severed. You've got the modest touch. And by 99, yeah. you already had your first toy, didn't you? So that's like a big transition time. Yeah, before. yeah. It's not that like there was great income from that, but. Um, and I was doing, you know, different things with like different companies and streetwear and mm-hmm. I was making, you know, a modest amount of money that I could pay rent. But that was really important to you. Um, a bathing ape, for example, is a brand that feels like it's a big breakthrough for you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, before that, you know, like in the late nineties, I worked with undercover and, um, hectic, real mad hectic. There was a company in, in New York called Subware mm-hmm. that was really the first, you know, stash own this company that was like the first company I worked with my friend West had PNB I don't know if you remember like 
It's all like 90s um, streetwear. And that really, you know, it's a very incestuous world. And, you know, my first time going to Japan, I got to meet Nigo and, you know, I didn't do anything with him until like 2001. He helped me. So who's Nigo? He's the guy. Who had a bathing ape. Oh, okay, right, right. And um, he helped me organize some stuff for an exhibition I was having at Parco. And then later on in like 2004 or five, we start working together. And then I think 2006, I opened my own, you know, original fake. And at that point, I had... Is I, that still going? No, I closed it in 13. Oh. Yeah, like seven-year anniversary. Could you bring it back? Um, no, I like to look forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was like, you know, I don't know. You, you Like, I'm very curious about things, and I figure them out, and then I, I need to Move get on. into other things. Yeah. And what, why was clothes, like, an interest to you, like, designing clothes? Is it is it also related to the whole kind of growing up? being a skater and you know it's because it, I, I, I guess so. music and clothes and it's all part of this identity isn't it somehow I yeah guess. I mean you're so like there, you know I think as a as a kid growing up and around skate graphics you're you're like all these images exist and you're just they just seem like they they always have and then you hit a point where you realize oh actually you know some of these graphics are all made by the same person and mm-hmm. you know the stuff I gravitated towards like this is all Jim Phillips or this is all you know whatever artist and you start to realize like, oh, there's actually people behind all these things. And then you start to just look at the world and design and objects differently when you try to think of, you know, who, where'd that start? What person started that? So do you feel that about like certain cartoon characters, that there's an artist that's designed that cartoon character, for example? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, you know, you start to think about everything like that. You look at the buildings in your neighborhood and you're like, somebody made choices to put that building there and, you know. It's, I don't know. Then you just start to think about like what you want to do and how do you bring that to fruition. I remember starting to work for Carl Friedman Gallery and like 10 years ago, 11 years ago and um, window vinyls. I'd never thought once about window vinyls. It's the weirdest thing. (laughs) But we we had to order window vinyls to put up what the name of the new show was for the first exhibition. And I didn't know what they were talking about. And I was like, what what do they want me to order? Like, how do I do this? And then I suddenly realized that all the window vinyls I was seeing everywhere had been like put put up by somebody, you know, to advertise to me. But I was that, like, you take everything for granted, yes, don't you? Until just you realise, like, you go, hang on, there's someone behind everything. And it was like that kind of like Truman exactly. Show moment where you realise it's actually like, you know, it's all constructed. It really <laughs> yeah, freaked yeah, me yeah. out then. You're in your I own had a good movie. few months where everywhere I was walking, I was looking at everything like, going like, that's how not you, real. How do you choose yeah. the cartoon characters that you spin off into your own world? I think most of it just came from stuff I grew up on or stuff I gravitate towards. You know, I try to make things that feel like they've always existed. And um, honestly, I use a lot of times I use the cartoon characters as an excuse just to explore sculpture and form and kind of what kind of emotion I can get out of, you know, putting things together. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. Because we've had Snoopy and Sesame Street. Yeah, I mean, that, like, so that stuff was really these collaborations with Uniqlo. Right. And, um, but I feel like Companion and BFF and Chum, that's stuff that I really go back to and yeah. try to get you know, what kind of emotion I can extract out of it or what kind of impression I can impose on a, on a place. So your, your work is into recognizable mainly because your characters have a cross over the eyes. So where, yeah. where did that come from? I mean, that just happened when I was painting over billboards and, you know, I sort of made a transition from doing lettering and that kind of more traditional graffiti into more iconography. And then when I thought about, well, what about this is the most like, the dominating mark and most recognizable mark and it would be the x and i mean it's just like common knowledge that that that's a strong mark right and it just sort of kept reoccurring in in my work and i 
always found new iterations for it. Mm-hmm. So, And the thing that I thought was really genius is the skull and crossbones, the way you used that quite early on, because it resonates in every single country around the world without a language being needed, like without words being needed, because it's something well, that's that your word. Universal, everybody... Yes, like... universal. But that was like an early thing you did. So yeah, you had but I can't, say, of... I can't say that like I, I went into it thinking like with this master plan. I just... No, 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 sure, exactly. But, but you start to realize, and the same thing, it's like, you know, a lot of people ask me, why do you keep cause? Instead of Brian Donnell, like a lot of times, you know, artists transition and then like suddenly they're professional and have their birth name. And I always felt like, you know, I just, it gives me this separation. I get to exist as, you know, cause and people can just see the work and mm-hmm. they're not really trying to pick apart who I am or where I'm from. Is your bank account cause or is it Brian? Uh, I think I have both. Do you? Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> but I like that about you though, because I think you're such an individual. And I think you're also so democratic. So there's an idea that you can hold something in your hand that's tiny, that's had as much care and thought and, you know, time and energy and meticulous kind of attention to it, as well as making something monumental that's like 30 foot tall, you know, out of wood or out of, I don't know. Well, you like think about your different collector things. base, don't you? You think about I think you care, you think yeah. about people that love your work and you're not someone that's like, you can't afford me now, I'm doing this. You really want to make your work in a kind of Andy Warhol way. And I don't know if you like that comparison or not, but it's like making it art for everyone. Yeah, I mean, it's not necessarily, I don't know, if, like I'm not trying to think about like, oh, what's, who's my collector? You know, it's more like I think about myself in Jersey City and what reached me, like, how did I kind of come into where, what, what sparked my initial interest when I was younger? Mm-hmm. And it was through magazines and through skate graphics. And, you know, I was always very conscious that I always wanted to create work that disseminates in that same way. Mm-hmm. You know, I really want to like, yes, I want to do the sculptures. I want to explore things I haven't done basically. So if there's an opportunity to, to do a new, you know, work in a new medium or work mm-hmm. at a new scale, mm-hmm. like I'm all for it. But I also do like, to have something like if I want to just, you know, you came over and I gift you this little thing and it's not like this weighty object. You can, you can just have it, you get home, you put it on the table and then it ends up on a shelf mm-hmm. across, you know, but it still sort of occupies a space mm-hmm. in your house. And I don't know, I, I feel like these objects kind of have value mm-hmm. that are equal. I think people can, people project onto them. And I think people who are collectors, which I'm me and Rob are, but I can understand a collector's mind. And I think, you think that way because you are a serious collector. Now we're sat in your office and we're surrounded by so many works, loads of works on paper, paintings, all in frames and just stunning, like visual. You're a visual person and you're a collector. How important is it to live with other artists' work? I've, I mean, I've always been interested in having other artists work around me. And I just, you know, in general, love art. I love learning about other artists. I love seeing like trajectories of artists and you know, there's so many different ways into this world. And, and it's just, you know, for me, it's fascinating. So collecting really gives me, it kind of like stops me and makes me focus, I think, when you collect, because you have to be very conscious of, you know, it's not like you, for myself, I'm speaking at least, you can't just buy everything you want, you know, you have Mm -hmm. to be smart about Mm -hmm. what you can actually acquire. And then also as years go on, you you sort of get into new territories of what you acquire. Mm -hmm. And yeah, totally. I feel it like it's a, it's a very, too. yeah, it's a very sort of personal relationship to these things that exist in your space. Where are you at now with your collecting? What is your taste now? You know, it's not, it's, it's not like where I'm, where was I or where I'm at now? It's mm-hmm. like you bring in a new work into the house 
and suddenly you're looking at works that you had for 20 years differently. Yes. And it's, it's this kind of thing. And, with yeah, other, and yeah. it's also, you know, how things survive for you, like how something that you connected with 10 years ago mm. and you still see it and it still kind of holds a strong, you know, a strong place in your mind. Mm-hmm. And there's other things that you kind of, you know, after a few years, you might not feel as strongly, you know, that might get, you know, pushed to the side and something else yeah. comes in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Yeah. But you're a big so, champion of a lot of... Um, yeah, which I, I and think it's on your Instagram amazing. especially because you have a huge following, but you're very proactive in really getting other artists' work out there for people to see. Like behind you, there's a Peter Saul work, and I know that you've been a massive champion of his work for many yeah. years, and he's very important to you and kind of your style because see a lot of his influences in your work. Yeah, I mean, I just you know I love Peter's work, and he's an amazing person. Don't so you have like so. fifty of his work? <laughs> Is that true? Is it really that many? He's like, it's more. <laughs> it's more. Wow. Is it? That's cool. Uh, did I say anything? I yeah, exactly. No, you know what? Honestly, there's like, like for me, Peter's such an amazing artist, and I'm constantly, for years, was surprised that there was these works that were on the market. You know, works that should be, you know, they're in museums and they will be in museums. But I was just surprised that you know, these are things you can acquire. Yeah. I find that about everything. Like, I feel very fortunate to be able to you know be around the works that i have mm. so and what was the first thing you bought because i read a really amazing story about it wasn't it uh, raymond pettibon is that one of the first things um you yeah recently i somebody was here there was a pettibon that i bought from it was only from 2000 i think it was one of the first pieces out of a gallery before that i'd only like trade it with friends and you know even in graffiti you you give black books and people you know, you'll do a drawing for somebody in their sketchbook and you trade and you oh, do drawings for each other and you swap. So like autograph hunting, like autograph people would collect. <laughs> they meet all in the book. Yeah, they're probably the youngest collectors, actually connoisseurs. <laughs> that, no, but, you know, that's the one thing about, about collecting is that, you know, like I'm, I've always been aware that um, people are just into what they're into. And, you know, you can meet somebody, especially going to Japan. I have friends who are just completely into these little worlds that I was not aware of, whether it's, you know, small ceramics or cactuses or, you know, these bottle tops, but they know everything, everything. about them. Yeah. And it's fascinating. And, you know, people always think when you think of collecting, you think of like, oh, contemporary art or this sort of, and no, it's just all like, some, there's just people that collect and people that don't. 
It's a certain mind, isn't it? Yeah. We were talking about it this morning because we're doing an interview with the New York Times and she was talking to us about how it started for us because we both collect since we were kids, basically. And we were talking about, like, we would collect weird objects like fossils. Oh, I collected phone cards, rocks and minerals, fossils, all the Star Wars figures I had, coins... I had like a collection of Madonna memorabilia. It was like totally Amazing. bizarre, but like, but like, but like on another, no, but, but like on a really extreme level. And then I had things like uh, Gladiator, some weird TV show. I got yeah. obsessed with that. I who, had all these strange your, obsessions. Who are your um, biggest influences, not the uh, graffiti of the graffiti world, but like of the visual artist world, the contemporary art world, or you know, honestly, I look at I look at everything. Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of like you can take bits of of every artist and sort mm-hmm. of think about you know what about them like what what got them through or to the period they are and you know like i know you're both fans of joyce yeah Joyce we're, we're, yeah. you know sitting around her drawings and i when i saw her work i just loved the energy in it and then you meet the person it doesn't always play out like that but then there's you know they're just like this sort of like you're it? just like you know thank god you exist yeah and um yeah, I don't know. It's just like you, you pick up different things from different people. I see a lot of like Willem de Kooning in you in your work. I feel like he's been a big influence. Do you not feel that? <laughs> he just made the funniest really? face. Yeah. It's I like, never thought of de Kooning. I was like the tightest. I'm thinking like I'm paintings. trying to go back and then see like we're seeing stuff that's been made. That's really onwards. interesting. But I feel like whenever I see Willem de Kooning, I always kind of make comparisons with you. That you know nobody's come to that. Do you like before. that comparison? Can you see that yourself? I mean, he's a great artist. I don't I don't see it in my work. I appreciate it and it gives me energy to see it. But right. take my energy. Um, no, but that is interesting. <laughs> I feel like I've never put that one together. Yeah. yeah. I mean you know, for the figuration in William de Kooning's work, I feel like How interesting. Them sort of figures have to harness the same sort of energy that you you give out. But paint it in a very slow, meticulous manner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And what about Klaus Oldenburg? Because you love Klaus Oldenburg, don't you? And Tom Wesselman. Yeah, I mean, those are both, you know, a lot of, I think I like the pop artists just from the, you know, especially the objects that he was making, like all the sculptures. The inflatables. And and then also just like the large public works, um, you know, like even like, you know, Jeff Koons, he brings sculptures to such a level, like, I don't know, just incredible. I was really struck when I came here for the first time how meticulous you were and the attention to detail and the precision of every single thing you do. Mm. You know, like downstairs you were showing us that printout for your book and the way that you've been having it specially printed in order to make sure the fluorescent colours, you know, come out in the book. And that high quality, that kind of like pursuit of like, not everyone is like that. You know, not even Joyce was like that really. She was with her work, you know, in the sense of making the painting, she wanted them to be right. There was also a kind of chaos and a madness. There's attention to detail that you have But you have a very specific like, yeah. And I think Coons has that too. You know, if you look at his balloon sculptures, um... They are so incredibly made, like... Amazing. Yeah. No, they look like they, they land from outer space. But where do you think that's come from? Have you always, like, be, had that personality you see, trait? You feel very ordered. Looking at your studio and instead of all the paints, you, it feels quite obsessive-compulsive with the A little bit, the yeah. I mean, I don't know. That, that's, that's fun for me. It's not, it doesn't take energy. It's just how I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, it is just like a personality thing that you've... I think yeah. so. I mean, you, didn't so, have you know, to, something like, like a book. You, you want, you know, like, you spend all this time trying to make a painting or a sculpture mm-hmm. to a degree that you want. And then if somebody's going to, you know, first come across it through a book, you want that to sort of be representative, I guess. So how hard does it come, become, sorry, when 
you get all these opportunities. So you've done things like the Macy's Thanksgiving Parade where you suddenly had a giant inflatable sculpture or you've done the ones in Hong Kong in the Victoria Harbour where you have, you know, one of your giant sculptures like lying in the water. So when you do these kind of massive projects, how do you keep control over making... Because they still look really perfect, but do you know what I mean? Like all these... Yeah, you know, honestly, I for that kind of stuff, it's really important to surround yourself with good people and you sort of figure out who those people are. And then, you know, you just sort of nurture those relationships. Do you have the same team you've had for a while then? For all the inflatable pieces. Yeah. It's my friend SK in in Hong Kong and um, he has a company called All Rights Reserved and it's really a, a collaborative effort. I mean, they're getting all the permits for me and, you know, in Hong Kong, we had to get permits just for the different sections of water that the piece really? passed through. Yeah, because it's all different territories and different people controlled it. So, you know, you're the government's involved and, wow. um, you know, you're seeing this inflatable piece, but under it was a 40-ton steel structure with all the mechanics to, you know, because it's constantly being inflated. And so to move like a 34-meter steel thing through Hong Kong, you know, it's, like a, it's, ship, it's yeah. a lot of, yeah, the logistics are crazy. And where are they now? Do they go into storage or? Do yeah, you... I mean, we reuse, like, we're going to do one um, coming up in Virginia that we had in front of Mount Fuji. And we had it, we brought it to Doha after Mount Fuji. And no, it's great. Now that we have some, we can, we can bring them around. Does and it use blow them. your mind that you're doing this? Do you ever step back? Yeah, and like, totally. How the fuck is this no, it, it's like all the time, like these different opportunities come up and I feel like third person, you know, it's just like I'm watching it happen. I know it's happening, but it's. It seems kind of unreal. Mm. And I don't know, knock on wood. I mean, I'll take it when I get it. It's amazing, though, how, what the effect has had on culture. Like, if you think how global it's become, it's a really unique phenomenon. It's what, not like everyone gets... Work. Yeah. yeah. And, and the, also the... like for you? I mean, the, how do you cope it, yeah. with being Brian? And then you have cause and you have so much attention on you. You have so many people want your work. And then your auction records are going crazy. How do, how, how do you sit that in your body? You just think about the work you're making. I mean, you just focus on that, I think. For me, it's like, it's successful if it comes together in a way that I wanted it. You know, if a sculpture is finished and and I'm happy with it, that's the success. Mm. If it doesn't sell or sells or whatever happens after, mm-hmm. like the fact that I got it to exist, I feel like my accomplishment is done. And then, you know, there's so many things that are out of your hands. If you start to focus on them, then I think it on can really, stuff, yeah. yeah, it could really be like either a false upper or a real downer, you know. Yeah. But what was that so. like that day when you had the, because you had the, the Kimpsons, which was a Sergeant Pepper's album cover, which was, a, I think it went for like $15 million or something. What did that feel like? I mean, when you see that, does that... Just- you know, honestly, I had just come back from Hong Kong with the piece that we were just speaking about and... So we had this piece in Victoria Harbor and I felt like we really pulled it off. I mean, there was so much opportunity for disaster in that piece. Right, right. You know, just even like we had to take it down early because of a storm. And um, and it really was just so well received. Like it was just, it, it really rippled out. And so I kind of came back to New York on this high. Mm. And the next morning was that auction. And then suddenly all people talked about was money. And that was a bummer. I was kind of like, right. you know, honestly, it, it wouldn't really matter what it was. It's just that number tied to it. Everyone's talking about it. Mm. So 
yeah, it was it was like it was surreal, but at the same time, it, it just sort of like completely deflated that the project in Hong oh, Kong. Oh, it did. And, yeah, I felt that way. So. Do you remember making that work? The the Kimpsons album cover. Yeah, I made that at you know ten blocks from here in my apartment, and I used to live in this duplex. And on the second floor, I had this room that was probably, it was about this big, but not as wide. And I just made that by myself in there. <laughs> wow. And how attached are you to your work? When things get sold or you release them for the studio, how do you feel? Do you feel sort of I'm pretty attached, or... I, I think. I feel like, you know, these are like your kids that are going out into the world and, you know, you get, you get sort of possessive. Mm-hmm. You know, there are other people, as you understand, like if you sell something that's not yours. But um, mm-hmm. but you well, know. it feels like because it feels like you're buying your work back, your early works, because you want to live with them again, or you want to feel like you have. Yeah, I mean, it's life. really, it's really the pieces I've bought back were like the phone booths, where you know, at that time I was just thinking of communication and just getting work out there, and I, you know, I didn't even think about the object as a piece. It was more about the message and getting, you know, reaching people, and then suddenly I realized, oh, this was this moment. I wish I had some of, you know, I wish I had that work. And I didn't. So if I saw somebody reselling it or, you know, it was at auction or, you know, sometimes people hear that I buy that kind of work back. So, right, right. So they come you know, to you. Yeah. You were saying earlier when you came back from Hong Kong and then you felt deflated. So that's quite interesting. <laughs> no <because>, fun. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Sorry. Uh, but, but, no, no, but you, okay, I've just said the most stupid thing. Yeah. But, um, if you look at your career tra- trajectory, it all looks quite positive in a way. Like it seems like it snowballs and it's just, it looks quite like a happy life in, in many ways. But what is the, being an artist, it can't just be like, everything's great the whole time. Like, like you're saying, you felt a bit crap that day or, wh- or whatever. So what is the reality of like the struggle of being an artist for you? Like, do you have highs and lows? And, and does like, it feel like a job? And how do you sort of live with it. I just find it interesting yeah. because you've been you've been incredibly successful. You know, I mean and- knock on wood. I feel very I feel very, you know, I'm super naively optimistic. I've always been. And even when I was in my bedroom in Jersey City, like I felt for some reason I felt successful with what I was doing whether I had, like just done a whole freight train or whatever the the project was of the evening. And and that's always sort of fulfilled me and I feel like it's really not much different now. And, you know, I'm lucky that I also have kids. I have a, you know, a three and a five-year-old. And I feel like the last five years has been this roller coaster of figuring out what that is. And, you know, that's often what I'm thinking about getting back to. And your wife is an artist, isn't she? Yeah. And did you meet both making work? Did, she, did you see it? No, I've work? known her. You know, her, you know, her name's Julia Chang. Yes. I'll just say it here. Yes. Um, she has a show coming up at Modern Institute. In Glasgow, yeah, yeah amazing. I and I loved her show. Well, that's yeah, the last had... time I saw you when she had oh, the right. show there as well. Oh yeah, right, you saw yeah, because you, you were in, in Nicholas's party show. Right. So, yeah. I love the show she did in Nanzuka as well in Japan. Oh, that was amazing. Yeah, it's it's great. I mean, I love seeing her getting. You know, having kids it throws your your world and you know it really throws yeah. you upside down. And I feel like she's getting a great stride back and getting in the studio more. And um, you know, consciously when you have kids that small, you just want to spend all your time with them. Of course. And so she just made the choice to to take a few years and do that. Mm. And now I feel like, you know, the youngest being three, it's like now, all right, oh, you're in pull-ups. You're good. You're, <laughs> you're almost out of diapers. So. Do you give your kids your toys? I do. They were my biggest test. You know, oh, they yeah. are? Oh, really? Yeah. Have, have they rejected any? Like, this is... No, no, I'm kidding. They... <laughs> um, 
No, I, I do. I do like giving them stuff. I like seeing them, seeing, you know, even if I, I don't like come home and give them, you know, if it's in the house, I like to see mm-hmm. what they gravitate towards or if they do sort of take things and mm-hmm. play or how their friends, you know, when they come over. One of the things that I really connected with that sort of made me want to come and meet you was the Yorkshire Sculpture Park show you did in the UK. And I think that was a really important transition for you because you're someone who, in a way, has always avoided having a middleman, even though you've used people like Colette to sell your toys. You know, there's always somebody there. But I feel like you've always... Yeah, yeah, but you've always controlled your output and the way you do everything. And even with galleries and being part of the art world as such, you've always done it in your own way. And you've worked with Periton, you've worked with Scarstead, you know, you've... But you you kind of a very unique artist in that sense. And the Yorkshire Sculpture Park show for me was really monumental and really incredible. And partly why I loved it so much was the documentation and the book because I was in Fort Worth um, near Dallas and I I saw the show there and I was talking to the curator and she showed me the book I think at that time and I remember just being blown away by the documentation of it yeah so is that also something you think about like to document completely so that the guy um, well Yorkshire was special because I felt like that was a completely different context for my work you know everybody they constantly kind of put me like urban or think of you know what I did, you know, with street work years ago. And really, I just want them to look at sculpture just as a piece, just as the object that it is in front of you. And I felt like the combination of those large wooden sculptures out in this sort of palatial fields of Yorkshire, it was just like a great, you know, and then the documentation, which is Jaunty Wild, who is a photographer that's been shooting that park for years. And after meeting him, actually, he comes everywhere now. Like he shot. Yeah, yeah, I I hired him to shoot. um, He shot a show in Hong Kong. He didn't shoot the, the holiday works, Mm. but, um, but in Australia, my show at NGV that's up now, I brought him out there and Doha, I brought him to Doha. Like, it's kind of like what I was saying earlier, when you meet somebody that you trust and appreciate, Mm. you just do whatever you can to kind of bring them into the mix. And, and, you know, aside from being just a really hilarious, great person. So it's just... I think it seems like you're quite loyal then to people that you collaborate with. Definitely, definitely. So what was the process in Yorkshire like then? So when you were like getting these... Because the photographs are incredible. Yeah, actually Yorkshire happened because I I had a piece in Regent's Park in the sculpture project that they're doing Mm. and the curator, Claire Lilly, is a director at Yorkshire. Mm. So I had this first, like this 30-foot sculpture in in Regent's and I met her there and... um, I mean, she just got more familiar through that, you know, through inviting me to do that one project and inviting me to do the whole show. And it was great, you know. I don't know. And the, in Fort Worth, the thing that really struck me about that one, again, was the relationship to nature and the water and the reflections that you had, because there's water surrounding the museum. I mean, that's just, that's Tadao to credit for that. You know, okay, that, okay. that building in Fort Worth, their museum yeah, yeah, yeah. is amazing. And he used water around the whole space so which incredible. i think he often does but is um, you are you interested in this idea of nature you know in in contrast to i like work? responding to spaces you know responding to architecture responding to nature and just thinking of like the complete experience not just what i make but how that exists you know right right, right. so we ask every guest that comes on two really important questions uh, you've listened to Talk Guy, haven't you? I have. Good. Well, <laughs> you should know this. You should be prepped. The first question we ask everyone is if you could do an art heist, your touchstone artwork, anything in the world that you could have and live with, and you're a collector, so this is going to be interesting, 
what would it be and why? You know, I have listened to your show and I do know this question and I did not know how to answer it. That's so interesting. It's like, I wouldn't, well, first of all, I feel like it's such an amazing thing for an artist alive or not to have work in a museum that I wouldn't heist it. I wouldn't deprive them of that opportunity. <laughs> like, you know, I, I don't feel like it's earned. So okay. what about if you could have a figure in art history or a touchstone artwork, touched an artwork that you, that something that you would go or and you visit. could commission any artist alive or dead to make you a work of art. Who would it be? <laughs> you know, I don't, that's tough. I tried to get my dad to make me a drawing oh. before he passed. And he, you know, he never would make me a drawing. What did your, da- was your dad? He was a stockbroker. No, he never oh, right. made a drawing in his life. And that's why I was so, you know, for like, and later in life when they don't know what to get you, I would always be like, oh, make me a drawing. So that would be cool to have. Um, yeah, I don't know. What, how do, I don't even remember how people answer this. Do they answer this question ever? Yeah, most people do. They have like yeah. a... Some people have like an artwork they go and see in a museum regularly or something there, that like, sort of touch them in their teenage years. If you go to MoMA, like you go, right, I've got to go up to the full floor, I've got to see this painting, or if I go to right. Whitney, there's a collection, I have to see this. Yeah, there's no there's no like single work that I'm focused like that. I don't know. What would you want to live with? Mm. Like, Would you want like to walk past Guernica on your way to the kitchen in the morning? <laughs> Yeah, uh, not Guernica, <laughs> but, but there is a Picasso. Yeah, I'd love a Picasso yeah. walk past, but yeah. Yeah, it's really it's really hard for me to single out something. What have you seen shows recently, though, that you've loved? Did you, did you like the one you've over retrospective? Do you think that was successful? Oh, it's Whitney? amazing. It's amazing, yeah. Um, no, you know I like his work a lot. I collect yeah. it. And... Did you learn I mean, work I guess to I'm... that show? Did you learn work, your work to that show? The only piece they they borrowed for that show was one of the the trash lids. Actually, it's it's kind of over on a shelf over there when you're when we're done, and um, when we're not tethered. Um, but yeah, afterwards, a, a large painting that was in the show that was like the Four Seasons um, came up to auction. I was able to get that. So you got that. Yeah, and that was gonna. We just you know I had a flood two years ago in my other building. What, during and, the storm, or was it? Um, no, it was like in winter, like a uh-huh. pipe broke. Oh, right. And so we, nothing got damaged. We, were, you know, happened when they were the, when people were there, but we moved everything out. But last week we just moved back in, and you know, in the next weeks I get to rehang the whole place. Oh wow! And um, it was, you know, it was a great space. It was like like you know, I was living in it at one point, and um, I don't know, you saw like AD did a piece on it. And so it was fun. Like I love, so I'm excited to get back into a space. So that piece will probably go up. Um, before I had that piece, the work science lesson, which was another one aerobic piece. That was probably about 12 feet by eight or nine. Wow. And that, I mean, that's such an amazing work. Why, why, why do you like living with art so much? Because you, it's interesting you can't pick one thing in a way because in your, as we're walking up the stairs today, there's so much art, like, everywhere. <laughs> you have, like, small drawings. You seem to have loads of drawings, actually. Mm-hmm. Just, I love work on paper. Yeah, I do, yeah. too. So. It's just, I've always have, I always, you know. And, I mean, there's some artists that only exist really like that. You have, like, somebody like Martin Ramirez or something. Everything's on paper. Um, mm-hmm. There's just an intimacy to it. But, I mean, I love painting, too. Just. And what, do you, do you, do you sort of like, because you have a lot, 
a lot. Well, the, yeah, the truth you know is, I, mean? I don't. Ma- I don't Maximal—that's the word. Yeah. yeah, I'm not like. I guess there's ways of collecting. There's like there's the the sort of you can have the trophy or the church, or you can have like the library. And I've always been interested in the library. Like I collect ephemera too, from like you know whether it's like Martin Wong, you know, early invites and things like that. And you know, I've like Peter Saul's like early you know '60s invites and different catalogs, and you get to see what people were writing about those artists at that time, you know. Mm. And I heard and, you bought a book at auction, I think, where people had like signed their names in the book or something. The guest book. Oh, it wasn't at auction. Wait, wait, where'd you oh, maybe hear it that? wasn't at auction. I don't know, I read it. No, you know, I, I know what you're talking about. You're talking about like the signature book for Mud Club. That's right. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And that, that for really... me is just a fascinating... What's Mud Club? Uh, it was like a New York club. New York club, But yeah. gallery. They did, you know, it was where Keith Haring, he curated the show called Beyond Words. Really famous, you know, there was a a poster that had a spray can and um at that point that was the signature book so you have like Basquiat doing a portrait of Keith in it and then you have you know just people in their addresses like Kim Gordon and her address George Kondo and his address it's so cool and you know people wanting to be on the mailing list but then you have like all these graph kids that just obliterate it I wish I had it here it's at my house I would show it to you oh wow um but I love books I love like same you know, same thing with like... I think it goes hand in hand with being an art collector is that you get the book on an artist you love. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But also, you know, in, in graffiti, like all the black books and stuff like that. I mean, that, that work is really kind of hard to get, but it does turn up. You know, like Blade sold me his book with all his 70s, like all the drawings for the whole cars no that way. are like in every book since I, you know, knew of oh, Graph. Wow. Yeah, and it's just this little like. That's the know. golden egg for you. That's got everything like that. Just yeah, distills. I mean that I have in a shelf over there. I can oh, we'll show have to you. Look at that in a minute, yes. <laughs> the other question we ask every guest is, "What is your favorite color?" You're going to struggle. Which, with having just sure seen that. like all the amount of paints you have yeah. downstairs, which are all called cores. You colors. know what? I, you have your own I, I would just, colors. I would. I would say, can I say gray? Yeah. Is that okay? Wow. Yeah. I think both my kids would vouch for that. Really? Yeah, because they will be like, whenever they say gray, like daddy's favorite. If we're talking about color. And why gray? I don't know. I guess for myself, I just rather not interfere with any other colors I'm working with. So you like to wear a lot of gray, <laughs> you mean? Yeah, I keep it pretty uniform and mellow, gray, black. Do you make everyone navy's work? Navy's outgoing. Do you make people work here wear quite neutral colors as well? No, you know, my OCD, I, I draw the line of what, <laughs> what's in my mind and what I let come out of my mouth is, you know, there's, there has to be a limit. Right, there's an edit. Yeah. Yeah, 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 but I did buy everyone headphones. Like little ear. That's why I was so that's, quiet when you came. That's why it was so quiet because everyone had headphones on, and I was the only person who was well, like, I "Didn't hear you anyway." Then no, but they were all like really lovely and quiet. No, and there was a, me going like, "Well, yeah, they, they hey." Didn't, I can assure you, nobody heard your squeaking sneakers. Through, like, big I think you did. I remember. I remember walking up behind you and just thinking like, "Oh my god, <laughs> this guy me. is gonna hate me because yeah. I've got like but squeaking." You guys have together. Have you done a, a print together? No, we haven't yet. But I would. Oh. Lo- I would love to. Ah, oh, That's one of my yeah. like. One of my dreams one day. But Brian, because he doesn't work with the middleman, does everything himself, oh. presents... Are you doing you know, the print in will here? Will make all the prints himself and then not, he delivers not in them here. to No, I work with printers. But, right. um, but yeah, as, I mean, you know, I, I like to self-publish and, you know, I sell through, you know, I've been selling through Pace and yeah, um, it's just, 
Yeah, I don't know. When the right time comes, when the, it, the, it will happen. It's, it's like with our Joyce print, you know, it happened right at the end of her life, but it was like the right time. Right. Because we'd been talking for years to do something. I mean, she just never yeah. had the right idea. And then literally like a month before she went to hospital, she had the idea. It was like a, yeah. I believe in the timing but, being right. Yeah. So what's next for cause? This year's pretty mellow. I made a conscious effort to keep it. I have a few projects that are, you know, like the holiday projects that, um, I can't really talk about at this point. What do you mean holiday projects? Um, that's the, the sculptures that are floating in the, like Hong the Kong whether it's the like the projects. yeah large and, like yeah. inflatable works. Right, right. Um, so we have a couple new locations this year. That should be fun. And um, you know I'm going to do a show. I'll do a show with Scars that in the fall at the new gallery. And then I look at when I see them inflatables, they remind me of Christo as well. When you see <laughs> the aerial views of Christo, where they've kind of wrapped an island, the, the yeah. scale of them seems to not makes sense to the eye it yeah. tricks the eye into thinking it's something else yeah i mean it did start getting surreal the scale of it and um i think you'll you'll get a kick out of the ones that we have coming up they're <laughs> I think funny you put one on the moon i think that's what we're going to see next is a big cause on the moon i actually meant to say to you you know the uh thanksgiving parade you did yeah can you talk about that a bit because i love the idea that you were actually there like Weren't you like following the sculpture, the the the, the balloon as the it was flying, and you heard like kids' reactions? Yeah, I mean that was you know they asked me if I wanted to be on a float under the balloon. I was not a chance. <laughs> there's not, there's no, like there's nothing I can I would die. Um, so I took a press thing, you know, to be a photographer, and so I just got you know I love taking photos, so I just got to like circle it and take photos, but unknowingly like it kind of put me at the sidelines ahead of it. And so you'd hear kids cheering for everything and, you know, it'd be like a Smurf and they'd be like, ah, Smurf, you know, and then it would just be silence when my thing came to be like, <laughs> mom, what is it? Like, I heard, <laughs> why does it look why, so sad? Why is it sad? Yeah. What, you know? And, and then it would I be mean, like SpongeBob and they'd be like, SpongeBob! Yeah, just be like, too. I exactly. You know, I felt like, but that's like it was, really it tough was, critics. It was kids. amazing. It yeah. Was, yeah. That's really funny. You know. And the other thing I really wanted to mention is my favorite album ever, um, pretty much, it's like up there in my top five, is Kanye West 808s and Heart- Heartbreak because it was after his mother had died. And I just find it the most touching record yeah. anyone had made. And your artwork for that is so perfect for it because it's got that sense of kind of tra- the kind of sadness of life somehow because it's almost like a balloon, you know, it's got that. Yeah. Ha- what was that whole process like? I mean, he had, he had had that artwork, the balloon before and then he asked me to work on it and i i added the hands and i did all the interior stuff love it so much for it and yeah. was it was it enjoyable to work with him because i love yeah, I it was Kanye's great awesome. you know i heard all the i heard you know story like I, i'd known him in passing and you know you heard stories like oh it's really difficult and honestly he was it was great it was really easy it's such a simple sleeve, but it the album yeah. is very simple and it's in the the way it was produced because the it was quite reduced in a, in a way it wasn't like bombastic and had like huge orchestration it was all quite raw and quite heartfelt and I just felt like the artwork was just I, anyway big respect because I love that record yeah and thank you for Thanks. being part of that because it made yeah. a big influence on yeah, my man. on my existence well, good thank times. you for coming on to talk art thank I you mean, so much it's been a real sure. privilege and thank you for yeah. inviting us into your private world yeah. it's a bit like coming into charlie chocolate factory or something it's yeah. like this amazing the charlie we've won the engine ticket. of like greatness yeah. <laughs> um yeah, yeah. and we're surrounded by like lots of different characters right well, now we get some images up and pink and blue and gray oh so is that like your favorite one then because he's like gray it's like grayscale. what's the that? one the one lying down 
Yeah, I mean that's why the companion you know, lying down. Yeah, there's that. There's that. That's a brown version, and there's a gray version. But I like in sculpture. I like subdued colors, and in painting, often I, I kind of go towards more vibrant work. Like I never really. I don't know. I guess the blue could be is kind of vibrant, but is that the nightlight? Yeah. Oh my god! Did you make these yet? Are they like in yeah? The, world? the blue is out and gone, but the pink one is something we have coming up. They're so genius. I, I love the nightlight. I don't know why, but it just like <laughs> conjures something up for me. You like, like, you like after light, it, well, you like I like light. the night and you I like light. light. So it works for and you. And I like cores. <laughs> That's amazing. Triple um, threat. I don't know. I just love it though. Yeah, you got the triple threat. How does that feel? <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much for coming on Talk Art. Oh, and for everyone listening, you. we will post images on our Instagram at Talk Art. Yeah. Oh, what's and, your Instagram um, for everyone listening? Oh, come uh, on. Just cars. And also, Not just cars, but... Oh, yeah, we should do a new one at Just Cause. That's good. It's at Cause. I'm sure it's taken and they're still on some kind of counterfeit thing. Oh, yeah, probably. It's at Cause. But the thing is, I think most people in the world are already following at Cause. You've got like the most hashtag ever name or something and like all these things. Anyway. um, Okay. (laughs) Lots of love, everyone. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks, Brian. Thanks Brian. Thanks for the visit. Bye. 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 You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamant and Russell Tovey. Follow us on Instagram at TalkArt, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in this episode. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.